we see opportunity in developing a, a, a customer-centric solution to accelerate the development of EV charging infrastructure. We are committed to ensuring equitable access to charging infrastructure and helping to meet our customer sustainability goals. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. National Drive Electric Week starts this week, and we honor the substantial investments that America's electric companies are making to accelerate electric transportation and the adoption of electric vehicles. Today, we'll hear from two EEI member companies about their efforts to install EV fast chargers, how they are making switching to electric vehicles easier for customers, how EVs play into our clean energy transition, and more. Kellen Schefter, EEI's Senior Director of Electric Transportation, will be joined by Scott Barrios, Manager of Business Development at Entergy, and Aki Marceau, Director of Electrification of Transportation at Hawaiian Electric. Before we get started, I want to quickly plug that EEI has relaunched the Electric Generation website and has been showcasing stories of how the National Electric Highway Coalition members are deploying EV fast chargers across the country and making progress on their goals. You can see these stories at theelectricgeneration.org and follow along on Twitter at, at electric underscore HWY. Kellen, take it away. Well, Scott, thank you for being on the show today. I'd like to start with the big picture and the role of electric companies in enabling electric transportation. I think we all intuitively understand the need to provide power for EV charging. Uh, But one of the stories we're trying to tell on this podcast and other efforts is maybe the undertold story about how electric companies are taking much more proactive steps to support this market and their customers. How do you see Entergy's role in this transformation? Great question, Kellen. Well, well, thanks to the EI team for having me here. I I greatly appreciate it. I'll I'll start off by saying Entergy has five regulated public utilities operating in four states that serve a total of about 3 million customers we see opportunity in developing a a customer-centric solution to accelerate the development of EV charging infrastructure. We are committed to ensuring equitable access to charging infrastructure and helping to meet our customer sustainability goals. Entergy was one of the first electric utilities to commit to reducing our carbon emissions, and we have made significant progress over this in the past 20 years. Our role in helping our customers electrify their means of transportation is one of an important part of a much larger story. Our electric mobility work streams address the growing needs of our customers related to transition to electric vehicles. This includes sharing our technical knowledge, building a distribution infrastructure to support the EV infrastructure, assisting with the EV charging investment where it helps jumpstart the market and meet specific customer desires. And of course, providing reliable, resilient, and affordable and increasingly sustainable power in support of this. The ways our customers are depending on this is on us is involving. First and foremost, they rely on energy to provide affordable and reliable power. But our region has firsthand experience with the increasing risk associated with climate change. More severe and more frequent tropical and winter storms have really affected our territory very much. And we're taking proactive steps in preparing and working to mitigate these risks. We're investing in technology solutions 
while also anticipating this future load growth when we look at the providing resilient power. When looking at our role in the environmental stewardship, we are taking actions across sectors to ensure a carbon-free future. Energy's utilities operate one of the cleanest large-scale uh, generating fleets in the United States. And over the next three decades, we're working to reduce our carbon emissions from our operations to net zero by 2050. We intend to accomplish this by working with our regulators and other stakeholders, again, to balance the reliability, affordability, and sustainability that, that we provide. This path, it's gonna include reduce, you know, retiring all of our coal, uh, coal-powered plants, investing in nuclear, adding renewable energy resources, and, and looking at how can we enhance our energy efficiency and demand size management. So our customers are going to get the impacts of this as we decrease our, our own generation as they look at our reliability to be the fuel source for the way they use their transportation assets. Overall, we see ourselves as a leader for our customers in this area, and we want them to view us as a trusted energy advisor to help them with their end states as they look at the energy that we provide. At the same time, there's so much opportunity available, and we look forward to working with our customers, as well as many other parties that will help be investing in the EV charging infrastructure to serve the millions of EVs that will be on the road in the coming decades. Well, thanks, Scott. There's a, there's a lot in there to unpack, and I want to come back maybe to a, a few of those, but let's start with Entergy and the fact that you are a member of the National Electric Highway Coalition. And as part of this coalition, we at EEI have been focusing on supporting EV fast charging for the public because it's that really important segment, I think, of, of the EV charging experience to make EVs seamless and convenient for customers. Uh, we see a clear need for electric companies to help address the gaps in the public fast charging network, for example, particularly in markets where there's a lack of investment today. So maybe you can expand a bit on Entergy's strategy in approaching this important segment of, of EV charging. Absolutely. Yeah, for us, it always starts with the customer. And two of the top concerns we hear from our customers regarding electric vehicles are the range anxiety that they have and the available charging infrastructure. So our participation in this initiative aims to relieve those customers' anxieties. We, have a, we think we have a role we can play here. At the same time, our plans to invest in public DC fast charging ourselves are very modest and represent a small fraction of the number of public charges that will be needed in the coming years. Overall, EV adoption in our region is still in the early phases. Again, in Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, and Arkansas makes up roughly less than 1% of light duty vehicle sales. However, those, those numbers are growing steadily, particularly driven by some of our metropolitan areas. And those areas, and those for those who are more adventurous and frequently leave their hometowns, go on road trips, access to charging stations you know, on the road is, is challenging. And, and sometimes when they show up, you know, those chargers are out of service, they're broken, even though the app, their navigation system took them there. I'm an EV driver myself, and I drive on our roads, our, our corridors, all over our states. And you know, there's a certain cadence that I have with you know going to the office, going to commute, bringing the kids to school. And you know, when I make those longer trips, I, I have that anxiety myself too, knowing that there's going to be charging stations there. So these types of initiatives are going to help fix some of these range anxieties, those the infrastructure needs our customers need. So we're, as part of the initiative, we're working with our regulators, we're working with different stakeholders to enable this long distance electric travel for our customers by addressing those gaps on the major transportation corridors. 
which are in our territory. You know, the great thing is recently the administration approved the state plan. So it's very exciting to see this and all of the interstates and as well as some of the off interstate areas, um, you know, down in Southeast Louisiana to support hurricane evacuations been, it have been incorporated into this plan. Our efforts are modest in comparison to the overall need that's gonna be needed, but we know we can be a leader in this area. So our role as a regulated utility, coordination with our neighbor utilities to allow us for efficient planning to ensure there are fewer gaps in the charging coverage. So our focus right now is getting the power when and where it's needed to support the growing need for public and fleet fast charging. One simple thing we did was create a new EV service guide. And that was from kind of guidance we received from our customers and coming from EEI as well too. This simple guide provides a step-by-step instructions on what, you know, what our customers are doing and what they need to do and what, you t- what we as a utility are doing from the initial site request to getting that, you know, that charging station installed and that first vehicle charge. It's a process that shows that we were listening to our customers and we're here to support them and we're happy to help them through that process. And this process to serve, you know, new, it could serve public charging fleets, any type of charging. And we're looking forward to kind of working with our customers to help get that power when and where they need it. Well, it's good to hear you say that because I, I do think we're going to enter an era of pretty fast development here, particularly when it comes to, you know, fast charging stations. And particularly because of that program you mentioned, the National EV Infrastructure, the NEVI Formula Program. You know, many of our members are focused on working with their states to help implement that. And as of this recording, as we're speaking now, I think the Federal Highway Administration has approved 35 of these state plans. So not all of them yet, but a a big chunk of them um, are now approved, which, you know, these plans demonstrate how the states plan to invest these dollars over the next several years. So tell us about how you are working with some of your federal and state partners to help implement that particular NEVI program. Yeah, partnerships is, is what's going to make this happen. Um, according to the Federal Highway Administration's guidelines in the NEVI program, the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Grant Program, it, it states states should also work with their utilities, transmission, distribution operators, and public utility commissions, public service commissions to help identify streamline the planning and the approval of the grid connection for the EV infrastructure. So it's in the, the guidance. So we want to make sure, you know, our stakeholders, our State Department of Transportation know that we can be a trusted ally in this process. The NEVI guidance outlines the requirement of having DC fast charging stations no more than 50 miles apart within one mile off that designated alternative fuel corridor. And they're going to have four charging ports capable of providing 150 kilowatts of power each. So our work on preparing for the future, uh, the, the future of the federal funding through the NEVI program really began even before IIJA, the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act, was passed. There's, that's natural given our role as a regulated utility and recognizing the need we have to be proactive in preparing for the future. For example, serving 600 kilowatts of new load at a given site requires connecting to the distribution system. It could require upgrades and of course, new equipment like a transformer, which have longer lead times. We wanna make sure we can prepare for these types of things. We're taking a leadership role when we're working with our stakeholders to share experiences and expertise. We're analyzing our corridors and our territory. We know our routes very well, and we understand the power availability relative to our own distribution system. The good thing is, as a utility, we, we understand that grid and we can help create the connections to assist 
the site in their journey to install the fast charging stations. You now we worked with our government officials as critical at the federal, state, and local level. We've been, we, we were proactively reaching out to all of our state department of transportations, having those conversations as the, the federal guidelines said, and had, had that conversation on how we can support them, sharing that expertise, share our understanding of the grid. So that as they developed their plans, like I said, we're 35 were approved um, as the time we recorded this yesterday. Uh, so it's exciting to see that and being part of those conversations. And, and a great example of this was in Louisiana. So the Volkswagen Mitigation Trust Fund was a great test run for this coordination. So in 2019, one of our good partners, Louisiana Clean Fuels, which is a US Department of Energy Clean Cities Coalition, worked closely with the Louisiana Department of Environmental Equality, who deals in environmental related permitting issues. And it was the governor's designated as the executor of the Volkswagen Trust Funds for Louisiana. Well, the great thing about that, we were already looking at the statewide plan and gap analysis to fill and build out the uh, alternative fuel corridors. So the coalition brought together the three major investor-owned utilities in the state and the municipal planning offices and other state agencies, uh, including the Department of Transportation, and it provided a good framework and network. So when IIJA came into the picture, we had the good mechanisms and understanding to place to execute on a larger scale with much more resources. And the good thing now, our partner, Louisiana Clean Fuels, you know, they're leading the planning for Department of Transportation development. So we have regular stakeholder meetings with them that consist of utilities or municipal planning offices, state offices, including energy offices, environmental quality, transportation. And as the largest utility in Louisiana, we're working with these stakeholders to ensure that the plan is comprehensive and takes into consideration the impacts on the grid. I feel confident in our plan, which, like I said, was recently approved as well. Louisiana was one of the ones approved. And we're ready to support the increased investment in DC fast charging and Louisiana and our three other states in Arkansas, Texas, and Mississippi as well, too. Well, that's great. And I think you just laid out a really helpful example for how states working in partnership with their electric companies can prepare for this. That was our number one, I will say, message to the Joint Office of Energy and Transportation as they were standing up and preparing to implement this new program is, is please work with the electric companies early and often because that is you know, a fairly large power requirement um, given some of those you know, locations that could need 600 kilowatts at a site. But the one entity that really needs to be in the loop to help plan for that is the electric company to ensure that that power is there, like you said, where it needs to be when they need it. So really helpful example there. Um, let me shift a little bit broader perspective here. One of the things EEI does is we tally all the activities of our member companies related to electric transportation. And we're really happy to report that our, our members are collectively investing more than $3.7 billion on customer EV programs and other related activities around electric transportation. That's up quite a bit from you know, another 300 million or so from where we were um, when we did this report late last year. Um, and this isn't just fast charging. This is every aspect of EV charging, whether it's at home, work, or public destinations. And I think you all have a great example of this too. And I want to maybe focus on one example where you re recently partnered with the city of New Orleans to launch one of the first uh, public chargers there with more to come. So maybe just as an example for this bigger picture of what our members are doing, can you tell us a bit more about how this partnership started and how many of these charging stations do you think will install across the city and what kinds of locations are you looking at? Yeah, so I absolutely love love this project. It was great, showed great cooperation with our partner, the city, and our regulator, which is you know, very interesting for an investor-owned utility. The city council of New Orleans is our regulator for 
uh, Energy New Orleans. So this partnership to install was a very modest level of public level two chargers, grew from our great existing relationships that we had with the mayor's office of transportation, the administration, um, and our regulator, like I said, the city council and you know, the leadership there. So close collaboration with Mayor Contrell's administration, who's the mayor of New Orleans, and the city council helped move this project as we accelerate our commitments to clean energy future and climate change, uh, you know, as, as we look at the risk of climate change in the city being very real. So in this partnership, Energy New Orleans is investing $500,000 for public level two EV charging infrastructure. This was approved by the New Orleans City Council in an earlier uh, regulatory proceeding. In total, Energy New Orleans will install 30 level two uh, destination charging stations at 25 locations across New Orleans. Now, these are going to primarily be located at recreational department facilities, libraries, and other public parks. The first station was just installed in August and is open for the public. It's free to use, and we're already seeing people using it and you know leaving great comments, which is great for us. And you know, it's, we like to see that. The locations for the 25 sites were determined by an online survey. So, and we solicited public input between January and March of 2021. We invited residents to go onto a social pinpoint site and drop a pin and vote for where they wanted the stations to go. This was one way we can ensure that, you know, there was equality when we were selecting the sites. Then we had a steering committee that was created and we looked at these different stakeholders with different stakeholders and evaluated the sites to propose the determination of where the final was gonna, uh, the charging stations were gonna be. We expect to finish the installations over the next few months and excited to learn how the charging stations are being used by EV drivers in our communities. So both the mayor's administration and the city council have been instrumental in moving this project forward. The climate change is a real threat to the city of New Orleans. The projects like this help reduce the city's overall carbon footprint and we're accelerating the energy transition with electrifying the transportation. Transportation would also help the city prepare to thrive in the new energy environment and economy as well. Well, and so expand on that story a little bit to your own operations. So, you know, a number of our members are looking at transitioning their own fleet operations to electric. Entergy is one of the companies that is looking to do that as well. Can you tell us any details about this fleet goal that you have and how you plan to accomplish it? Sure. Yeah. So we do have a handful of electric vehicles in our fleet already. And this is part of our green fleet strategy. And since 2008, we sought to reduce the environmental impact of our company's own vehicles and, and on and off-road equipment by using more efficient options. So we, we saw had our goal to achieve a 20% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions and fuel consumptions from our 2008 levels to 2020. So it, we hit that target in 2050 five years ahead of schedule. So this was, this was great for us, but it, it, uh, just like anything, we're gonna make to uh, further that target further down the road as well too. So to execute this strategy in the future, we recently invested in installing 40 strategically located electric vehicle charging stations around our uh, footprint as well too at our service centers. So this is to support as we're growing and growing our own electric fee. So, this is going to, these 40 chargers are going to allow about a 90 to 100 vehicles to charge simultaneously. And, you know, as further evidence of energy's commitment to decarbonization starting in 2023, our fleet plan is for all passenger vehicles, forklifts, pallet jacks, et cetera, 
to be all electric where, where available from the manufacturers. So 80% of our company's aerial units are, are bucket trucks. We powered by electricity by 2031 as well, too. Well, like I said, we have a small EV presence in our fleet right now for light-duty passenger vehicles. We have placed our first large order for electric pickup trucks. And we're very excited about this. We expect to see these on the road um, you know, over the next few months, several years as well, too. And I can tell you right now, our, our drivers and operators of those vehicles are very excited to get behind these all electric pickup trucks. And we're excited to put them out in our community so our communities can see them as well, too. Well, that's great. I, I, I wish you luck in getting the orders of those trucks. I know everyone's waiting on the, uh, the electric pickup trucks these days. So hope you take delivery of those soon. And I, I think it's a great initiative. I, it's really important, I think, for our members to show leadership by example. And as you mentioned, you know, to be a resource for customers doing it yourselves, I think will really help transfer that knowledge too. So Scott, I know you're busy. Last question for you. National Drive Electric Week is upon us. Uh, this is the annual celebration of EVs and EV drivers uh, with many local events across the country. It's certainly changed a lot. I recall back when I started EEI way back in 2013, it was a bunch of Nissan Leaf and Chevy Volt drivers, uh, the, the dozens of them that there were. Um, I'm sort of being facetious there, but you know, in the, in the thousands, now there's you know, over two and a half million EV drivers in the US and growing. Um, so I think a lot changing there, but I'm just curious, how, how is Entergy and how are you uh, celebrating National Drive Electric Week this year? Yeah, uh, this is one of my favorite times of year. Uh, it's in the fall, which is always great. It usually runs the last week of September, first week of October. And we've participated the past several years in, in these events. Like I have my, actually, I jokingly have my Drive Electric uh, Week water bottle right here from last year. <laughs> I'm wearing my T-shirt from two years ago. So I came ready for this conversation today. So, you know, we've sponsored several of these events in the past, both, you know, National Drive Electric Week, which, like I said, runs in the fall, and also the companion, the Drive Electric Earth Day event, which runs in the springtime around Earth, Earth Day. So these events, you know, are very meaningful to us because they allow us to go out there and connect with our customers and have meaningful conversations and speak to our EV drivers, potential EV drivers, and learn what's important to them. You know, we were able to hear what are the concerns on range? Where do they charge at? And, and plus, we just get to see some some fun cars. You mentioned the Bolt and, and Nissan Leaf. I even remember just a few years ago, all you would see was, was Teslas and Nissan Leafs. And now we're seeing more and more amazing cars like from Volkswagen, from Porsche, from, from Audi and, you know, Jeep and more Chevys and Fords on the road. So all these great new cars are coming to our events and we're able to see it from and learn from them. So that's what I really get excited about when I see newer cars coming in and you know this year we're participating in a few events ourselves one of our like i mentioned one of our great partners earlier louisiana clean fuels drive electric louisiana hosts an annual event near baton rouge and we host one as well too and partner with other folks and bring out hundreds of people and it's exciting to see the great crowds that come out to this plus it's at an outdoor shopping mall so it's a great way to drive business to that shopping mall for the day as well too um, EV drivers can get to go shop and enjoy the good fall weather. We're also working working with organizations in the Little Rock area. Like for example, Arkansas has a great EV grassroots community that we work with, and we attend events there as well too. And in the coming years, we're hoping to expand more and more events across our area. As we install more of these charging stations in New Orleans, we're going to be hosting events there as well too for the community. So I'm excited about it. I get excited about it every year, and I look forward to seeing the cars that are on the road. Well, Scott, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for being a champion, of, not only of this technology, but uh, of your customers as they look to adopt more of it in the future. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Kelly. My pleasure. 
And now our next guest, Aki Marceau from Hawaiian Electric. Well, thanks, Brian. And hi, Aki. Welcome to the show. Um, let's start a little bit with just uh, your role within Hawaiian Electric. What are you working on? Sure. Thanks for having me and inviting me to the show. Um, so my name is Aki Marceau, and I'm the Director of Electrification of Transportation at Hawaiian Electric Company. As, as the director, one of the things that I try to aim to do is actually create the conditions that allow for my team to thrive. So as a team, we're really focused on developing the strategy and deployment of different products and services for our customers, particularly in the field of supporting electric vehicles. And currently, this includes EV-specific rates, public charging, and make-ready programs. What's exciting is that we also have a mechanism now to pilot new programs. So as we learn and listen from to customers, we can start to pilot new programs that serve their needs as well. Great. Well, let's start a little bit on some of the benefits here. And you know, one of the stories we tell a lot at EEI is that as the energy generation, as the electric power sector decarbonizes, and our members are making progress to do that, it transfers essentially to the transportation sector if we can get people in EVs, right? So tell us a little about how your 100% renewable power goal plays into your electrification strategy, and then we can get into some of the more the details of your programs. Sure. So we set our renewable um, energy goals, which is 100% renewable energy by 2045 first. And then in 2018, we developed something called the Electrification of Transportation Strategic Roadmap. And so this was an overarching strategy to see. We, we recognize that vehicles and even in the future planes and um, maritime you know, transportation sources would all start to electrify. And so we wanted to make sure that as an electric company, we were ahead of the curve and we'd be able to kind of understand how this could be an opportunity for our electric grid instead of a burden. And so as since we have this renewable energy portfolio standard and this goal, uh, we found that you know, renewable energy, especially solar energy, is produced heavily in the middle of the day. And so Electric vehicles being, for lack of a better term, batteries on wheels um, and uh, a distributed energy resource as well, um, we could leverage them to uh, charge in the middle of the day when renewable energy is abundant. And then also, you know, hopefully in the future, really serve as a grid resource to increase reliability of our grid. And so we're still in the early stages of thinking about electric vehicles as a grid resources, resource, but that's directionally the area we wanna go in. If you zoom out a little bit though, you mentioned the word decarbonization. Decarbonization is a strategy and a goal that we set last year as an electric company as well. So not just focus, focusing on the RPS, the Renewable Portfolio Standard. I think it's really interesting to think about transportation within this um, kind of pie of greenhouse gas emissions. And in Hawaii specifically, transportation is around half of greenhouse gas emissions. So a pretty large percentage. And ground transportation specifically is about half of those overall transportation um, emissions, which includes aviation and maritime kind of making up the other half. So um, currently, while our focus is really on ground transportation, as technology advances and um, the market matures, you know, we really see aviation and maritime as part of this transition. And they're going to be major uh, customer segments in the future. 
Um, so it's exciting to really see that as our grid gets greener, we can really support the decarbonization of this other sector, this transport transportation sector, which includes cars, trucks, vans, buses, you know, in the future planes and um, even boats. And my, my background is actually in uh, urban planning to begin with. So I have to add on to that, that, you know, as we think about decarbonization as a whole, we should also um, see it as an opportunity to bring others under the, the tent of transportation. So that includes the cleanest form of transportation, which is walking, right? Walking sure. and biking. And so, um, you know, we can start to partner with um, kind of unconventional partners for electric companies, which is folks that are focused on safe and pleasant sidewalks, bicycle infrastructure, complete streets and mass transit. And so, you know, it's a really exciting time, I think, to be in the space. Well, it's great to hear you say that. I think, as you mentioned, so much of the focus is on the technology and just getting the driver to choose a the same vehicle to make it electric, right? But we are talking about bigger things in terms of modal shift and livable cities and all of this stuff that I think is a really important thing to include in the conversation. But let's zero in on uh, the EV fast charging segment just for a little bit, because I think that's yeah. one where to get people who do have to drive or, you know, the car is a, and, and the EV is a primary vehicle for them, having that ability to charge on the go seems to be one of those important things uh, to get customers comfortable with. At EEI, we've been working with a lot of our members with the National Electric Highway Coalition, particularly around the in the continental U.S., um, for helping to fill in some of these or address some of the EV charging gaps. But your company has been at this actually for a while in, in your territory. So tell us a little bit about the need that you are fulfill, you're fulfilling today with this EV fast charging uh, product and, and program that you have in place. Sure, absolutely. And as you mentioned, public charging is you know, we've been at this for quite a while since 2014. And we see one of our roles as an electric company is to create a critical backbone of reliable public charging. So we don't want to, I don't think we can, you know, own, own the space at all, but right. uh, we want to make sure that our customers and even, you know, visitors to the state have reliability and they don't need to worry about range anxiety or queuing anxiety, which is more of an issue these days. Um, so we want to make sure that at the very least, there's a critical backbone of reliable charger and we invite and want to support the, you know, private market to build out, you know, the rest of the charging infrastructure needs. And so um, in particular, I think Hawaiian Electric Company is relatively unique in that we were established in 1891. <laughs> so wow. we've been around for well over a hundred years. And so we hope that our presence in this space will encourage folks that are EV curious, whether they're you know residential customers who are thinking about buying an EV or they're commercial entities, commercial customers that are thinking about transitioning their fleets but having a company that is that has been around for well over 100 years, we hope that this um, drives some confidence uh, in the market so that they'll invest in electric vehicles. And so we've been working on this pilot since 2014. And um, last year, we filed a proposal for a permanent expansion of this program to our Public Utilities Commission. And we think that this is particularly important in Hawaii for a few reasons. So one, which doesn't come up a lot in conversations that I've had, but I, I do wanna highlight this. So 
we have a very large tourism market in Hawaii. I think probably most of the listeners have been to Hawaii um, because they went on vacation, they went on their honeymoon, they got married here, they had family reunions here, um, that type of thing. And so um, visitor spending is about 18% of our GDP. And so as car rental companies um, or even car rental adjacent, you know, startups and stuff, as they start to uh, transition their fleets, we want to make sure that, you know, our, our visitors um, are able to charge on the go. Um, this is really important, I think, as, as these car rental companies transition their fleets. Um, also, we have a large percentage of apartment and condominiums, especially in urban Honolulu. And it's more difficult to retrofit charging in um, condominiums and apartment buildings. It, it can be quite costly. And so for folks living in apartments and condominiums, um, having publicly available charging will allow them to charge and, and have the confidence to, to buy an electric vehicle. We also want to make sure that in more rural areas or less, less trafficked areas, there is charging available. More aggressive private market will really serve areas that will be highly trafficked, have a very obvious ROI, but for areas that are maybe less trafficked in more rural areas, we still want to make sure that there's infrastructure available because that's important for range anxiety, important to give people, I mean, I, I use that term critical backbone, but we really, really want to um, ensure that there is a critical backbone of charging infrastructure available for, for drivers. So that's kind of the angle that we're taking um, at large for our, our public charging program. That's great. And I think that backbone analogy is a good way to frame it here, um, because I think that is, I think what, what we find so important for drivers is if they can't make the trip or they're not confident they can make the trip, they're not going to choose the vehicle, whether their own personal vehicle or for maybe the rental for their, their stay there, which I think is a great point to highlight. Just to give us some some scope here, how many of these fast charger um, facilities do you have in place today, and what kind of locations are they at? How are you partnering potentially with with site hosts or customers, whoever it is, uh, to actually can locate these stations? So we have a, we currently own and operate twenty nine fast chargers at twenty six locations. So in some locations, there'll be more than one charging station, and this is across. Oahu, Maui, Molokai, and Hawaii Island. So it's on separate islands within our state. Um, and in terms of how we're partnering with different site hosts, so we, under some conditions, we actually own the land underneath. So they'll be at, you know, one of our offices and we'll make the parking lot accessible to the public. But in other locations, we found that shopping centers are great um, options for uh, charging. And then in the near future, we're going to launch our first charging station at a state library, which I'm very, very excited about. In, in my mind, that seems like a great uh, partnership between um, the public library system and um, the electric company, because what it allows people do, to do is leverage this public resource, which is, you know, taking their kids to the library, checking out books, um, learning. Um, and usually the amount of time that you spend at a library is really aligned to probably, you know, how much time you need to charge your vehicle. Um, so I would love to see that type of relationship expanded in the future as well. And then um, we also recently 
launched the charging station at one of our museums, so the Bishop Museum, which I'm also very excited about as well. So, so Aki, you told us about the EV fast charging pilot that you have in place. Tell us a little bit about how that may expand over the years. Uh, thanks for thanks for asking. So, you know, with all of our pilots, what we're really looking towards is the scaling of the pilot. So that's why we're we're trying to learn quickly and iterate and scale. And so for our public charging pilot, we have been testing that for a, a few years now, since 2014. And we're really, we really feel like we're at the point of, of where it makes sense to scale this program. And so last year we submitted an application to the Public Utilities Commission for review. And what we proposed is uh, to expand our program um, from 25 sites, or I guess 30 sites, to 150 DC fast charging stations and 150 dual port level two charging stations at roughly around 75 sites across our service territory. And this would be from 2023 to 2030. Uh, so for about a seven year period. And what you'll notice is uh, there's probably, there's, there's way more chargers than sites. So we're hoping to arrange them in kind of more of a charging hub design where there's multiple char chargers at one site. Uh, so people have the reliability and the confidence that even if one charging station is full, there'll be others available for them to use. Um, in terms of the breakdown of the charging station, since we do live in a state that has several islands, <laughs> we, we're, we're trying to be thoughtful about this. So We've divided it up more or less by population, but about 60% of the sites will likely be on Oahu, 20% on Maui County, and 20% on Hawaii Island. And what we've kind of targeted is, is this would serve about 28% of the total public fast charging need by 2030. And so that's really what we're targeting. And we look forward to working really closely with partners to serve the remaining need um, by 2030. And this can be in the form of make ready or even just third party service connections. We talked a little bit about the environmental benefits at the top, but I'm curious when you're engaging with customers, do you have a quick elevator pitch that you give them to, to convince them to go electric? Or what are you sort of seeing as some of the arguments that, that are working these days for people that are showing interest and in, in, uh, want to take the next step? Oh, sure. So if you're interested in buying an electric vehicle, it in my mind, it's a no-brainer. Um, nowadays, you can get one new or used. So there's there's you know a greater market now for uh, gently used electric cars, where I think five years ago or so you would be a little bit harder to find. Uh, so I mean, just even speaking from personal experience, I got my current car, which is a 2018 Nissan Leaf. <laughs> um, I got it in 2020. It was really great timing because it was right before the pandemic. Oh yeah. Um, so I kind of lucked out there, but I, what I was really hoping, what I was looking for at the time was an electric vehicle that was used, um, and, uh, that was kind of on the smaller size. I, I typically, I'm not a big, big car type of person. So, um, I actually heard someone speak a few years ago and they said, cars are more like your pet than your refrigerator. And I thought that was I just thought that was really true because people start, you know, they name their cars, they yeah. um, 
clean their cars, they wash their cars, they um, kind of develop this really strong relationship with their car. And so I think even, you know, I think working at a, an, an electric company, you start to think of things more in terms of infrastructure terms in terms of, instead of in terms of um, kind of, you know, welcoming, uh, you know, kind of machine into your family, but that's really what cars are, right? So you can't, it, it's, it's hard to really pass a lot of judgment on how, what types of cars people want to drive and that type of thing. So just from my personal perspective, I really wanted a small kind of manageable car. Um, and I was able to find one, but what I found is when I made that transition is number one, it's way cheaper to maintain. Um, for example, you know, I don't know if catalytic catalytic converter theft is a big, big issue on a national scale. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is. <laughs> so, in Hawaii, it's a really big issue, but you don't need to worry about that. If you they don't, they don't have one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's a big perk. I can park freely without worrying about my catalytic, catalytic converter being stolen. Um, I think another perk, which has nothing to do with decarbonization or, you know, making the right choice for the environment and that type of thing is that it's just nicer to drive. An electric vehicle is smooth. It um, has great torque. It's very quiet. Um, so it's it's a wonderful driving experience. And I think if anything, that's a huge perk. And then now with the recent passage of the um, IRA, we're able to see rebates and tax credits kind of being um, fused into the economy with the Inflation Reduction Act. And so this tax you know, this, this provides tax credits worth up to $7,500 for new vehicles, 4,000 for use, which I was really, really excited to see as well. Um, so I think from a, even just the upfront purchase of the vehicle, there's a lot of options. But again, what I'm also going to highlight is that it's important to note that you don't actually even have to own a car to enjoy the experience of riding an electric vehicle. Um, one of the most exciting things that I've seen in the state and nationwide is the transition of buses to, mm -hmm. you know, into becoming electric. So we're seeing public bus fleets um, across the country transitioning to electric buses. And our um, operators in where I live in Honolulu, Hawaii, they have a zero emissions vehicle transition plan that they're um, working on right now. And it's not only a great opportunity to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and reduce VMTs or vehicle miles traveled, but it's a really great way to allow anyone to participate in this transition. That's a great point. And as someone who uh, bikes to work as much as possible here in Washington, DC, I always appreciate when I'm behind the electric uh, transit yes. bus and not the diesel bus. Um, even though the Very exhaust true. is mounted pretty high, I still can, you know, inhale <laughs> diesel exhaust in my I biking have, experience. Yeah, I have a, um, a five-month-old child, and we go on walks around the neighborhood, and I'm always happy when we're next to the electric bus instead of the fossil fuel burning bus, because, you know, I think about the air that he's breathing and that type of thing. And so, it, you know, there's things that pop up here and there that I, I wouldn't have ever thought about. Well, tell us a bit more about how you're actually supporting that particular transition, maybe on the transit bus or commercial fleet side. You mentioned maybe a couple of programs you have to offer there. How do those work and how is it helping those customers make the transition? 
So in addition to our public charging program, which uh, you know we have a application in front of our public utilities commission to expand that, which I can talk a little bit about later as well. Um, we have we're piloting two programs. So one is called uh, electric bus make ready program, and then the other one is called the commercial make ready program. And um, they're they're both make ready programs serving you know different customer seg segments basically. And what that means is that we would you know, own and operate and assume the cost of all the infrastructure, even beyond the meter um, up until the charging station itself. We would not be responsible for owning and operating the charging station or um, purchasing vehicles and that right. type of thing. That would be on the customer side. And so the e-bus or electric bus make ready program, which we call charge up e-bus, um, that's really exciting because it really reduces the cost impacts on the bus operators um, to make this transition. So um, this is a program that we launched earlier this year. We're in the pilot phase, but our, our intent is that in piloting this program, we'll learn very quickly uh, about the customer itself and what they need, um, as well as how to incorporate this program into our own operations as a utility, because for the first time, at least for Hawaiian Electric Company, we're doing work on the customer side of the meter. Um, so that's that's really exciting for us. Um, and then hopefully we can expand this program, you know, once, once we uh, try it out with a few bus customers. We also have something called an e-bus rate. And the e-bus rate is a pilot rate that we've, we've had for a few years now. And what it does is it has no demand charge in the middle of the day when um, when the sun is shining and rooftop solar and utility scale solar is abundant. And this also reduces the demand charges and the cost of, of power or fuel to the um, bus operators. So they're a big fan of the e-bus rate as well. Um, on the commercial side, you know, this really targets condo owners, apartment owners, um, and uh, third-party public charging, as well as um, fleet transition and workplace charging. And so that's a very similar program, but just targeting other customer segments. Great. Well, can you tell us a little about how Hawaiian Electric is celebrating National Drive Electric Week this year? Uh, I, I believe you're involved with maybe an event or two, but would love to hear what you might have planned. Yeah, we, we love National Drive Electric Week. It's a very exciting time because it allows us to join forces both locally and nationally to raise awareness of the many benefits of electric vehicles, electric cars, trucks, buses, motorcycles, and more. <laughs> and on the local level, on the Hawaii level, we are part of an organization called Drive Electric Hawaii. So usually during this time, we actually you know, join forces and we put on several different um, community events across Oahu, Maui, um, ac across our islands, Big Island, Kauai, and beyond. Uh, so we're participating in those community-facing events. And, and then we also, you know, do some kind of, you know, press and marketing to really um, demonstrate thought leadership as well as make sure that the, the community is aware of the many benefits of of electric vehicles. So we just really want to drive knowledge and understanding and excitement about this transition and, and really support those who are thinking about making this transition during that time. Great. Well, Aki, thank you so much for the time today. You have a lot going on at Hawaiian Electric to support 
the EV transition. So thank you for walking us through it. And we look forward to talking soon. Thank you so much for having me. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.